are in our series, as Pastor Reagan said, called Law and Order. And this month we are looking at the book of Judges. So we are in the Old Testament. Um, I love the Old Testament. I love the Bible. You can ask our students. I talk about it all the time. The Bible changed my life. Um, I grew a love for the word um, and I just love it. And it's really, really good. And so we're in the book of Judges. The book of Judges, just to kind of give you some context for what we're studying today. The book of Judges is the seventh book of your Bible. So if you start from the beginning, it's the seventh one in. And it is categorized as a historical book. So our Bible, there are the books in it, they are their classifications of it. The first five books of the Bible um, actually, it talks about how Israel becomes a nation. That's, that's the goal of those first five books. It is how God promised Abraham that he was gonna be the father of many nations and that he was going to use Israel to show himself to the world, that they were gonna be a people set apart for him and that he was going to give them a promised land that they were going to inhabit. And that is the beginning. And then we see that by the time Exodus comes around, the children of Israel are now in Egyptian bondage. They're slaves in Egypt. And God calls Moses forward and he says, listen, you gotta go. I've heard the cries of my people, go and release my people. So Moses will go and we see that the Israelites are, they come out of uh, in the Exodus. And so that is the first five books. The, the next 12 books are historical books. That's where we find the book of Judges. Historical books are all about these, these free people, the Israelites, it's, the, it's the, their life and their inhabitants of this promised land that they were given. So that's where we find ourselves. The book of Judges covers about 450 years of the children of Israel. So this is a long, it's over a long stretch of time. And we see here, Pastor Reagan has mentioned this several times already in this series, that we begin to see a pattern that is developing in the Israelites. In fact, we have a graph that we're going to put up, and this shows you the pattern of what's happening in the life of the Israelites. So they have been freed from Egyptian bondage, and now they are going into the promised land but we see that there becomes a pattern in their life. God gave them this land, they entered into it with peace, but then we see that just like the cycle happens every single time, there's sin. The people of Israel, they sin, and because of their sin, they're now oppressed by enemies. And once they're being oppressed um, by their enemies, then we see that there are consequences, they repent, right? And then God raises up a deliverer and then there's peace again. And we see this cycle over and over again. Um, and that's what we're doing. And because of this cycle, God raises up 15 judges to rule over Israel. Now these judges, the goal for them is to deliver these people to kind of bring them into these times of peace. Now these are very, very flawed human beings that God is using. And what he's doing is, is he's pointing to the ultimate savior that is going to come in the New Testament. Because all of the Old Testament points to the New Testament and that is that Jesus is coming. That we need a savior because we're all in this cycle of sin in our lives and we need a savior. And so this is what we see I love the book of Judges. I think there are two main things that you see here. Number one, you see the nature of man. You see the fact that we're all, as, as humans, we are incredibly flawed. We're incredibly wicked and sinful and we need a savior, right? That's what points to Jesus. 
But we also, in the book of Judges, we see the incredible, the incredible um, timeless character of God, that he is really, really good, that he's actually incredibly patient with his people, that he's loving and he's merciful. And we see this over and over again. It's an incredible book. I'm excited to jump in. In fact, I'm going to get, with, get you to stand with me as I share my text verse today. Now, my text verse is not out of the book of Judges, but just hold tight with me. In fact, my text verse today is out of Hebrews chapter 10. And the writer of Hebrews in this chapter, he is talking to the Christians and he's saying to them, listen, persevere in your faith. A lot of them are going through hardship and he's like, this is, you just persevere. And this is what Hebrews 10 39 says. It says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So the title of my message today is, are you shrinking? So pray with me, Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you, God, you are so good. In fact, you are better than we know. Our best thoughts about you don't even compare to who you really are. And so God, we just give you the next few minutes that we have together and we ask that you would have your way. Lord, I thank you that it is not by accident that we have arrived here and we're sitting in this space. So God, would you speak to us? God, I pray that your word would go forth, Lord, that it would produce fruit in our lives, that we would be transformed, help our hearts to be good soil. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. So that is the question today is, are you shrinking? Now I'm not talking about, are you shrinking physically? Although I have heard that happen. So, you know, might wanna do some stretching. I'm talking about a spiritual shrinking. In fact, the question here is, and maybe this is a rhetorical one, but have you ever um, been in a situation where you were confident at one point and then fear crept in and it caused you to shrink back? How many of you have ever, have you ever been in a situation like that? Okay, just me. I, I, I feel like this is the situation I find myself in all the time, right? And it could be anywhere from minor stuff. Like, um, you know, I think about, have you ever been in a room and you see somebody across the way and they wave and you're like, oh, do I know them? And you like, you wave back, you know, like, hey. And then they're looking at you weird and you're looking at them weird and you realize they were waving to the person behind you. And now you're like, I need to walk out of the room. Like, I don't need to be here anymore. Or um, how about, have you ever been talking to someone, meeting someone new for the first time? And of course you do what any person would do when you ask them their name, right? You say, oh, nice to meet you, what's your name? And as they're telling you their name, you're not listening. Why would you, I mean, why would we, right? We just, we asked it for no reason. And um, they say it, you weren't listening, and now you feel incredibly awkward because you're standing there talking to someone that you just asked their name and now you don't know. And so, I don't know about you, but my next question is always, so how do you spell that? <laughs> um, and when they look back at you and go, uh, CJ, and you're like, <laughs> okay, I need to leave the room. I really shouldn't be here any longer. I don't know, any, any of you ever feel that way where it, like that fear causes you to wanna shrink back? Like I shouldn't be here. Those are some minor things, but then we, we also experience this in a lot of major ways too. How many of you have ever felt like the Lord has called you to do something or he spoke something to you? Or maybe you have a dream of something you'd like to see and you do the brave thing and you tell somebody and then after you tell somebody, they tell you all the 50 ways that it's not gonna work and how your plan is horrible. And obviously, have you thought this through at all? And now you're just rethinking your whole life, like this will never work, you know, like it'll never be it. How many of you have ever experienced it? Because the reality is all of us in the room, we have experienced that. We've all in this room experienced fear. 
Where we, at one point we were confident in something and then fear crept in and it caused us to shrink back, shrink back from what God has called us to do, shrink back from what God says about us. And shrinking back is exactly the state that we find the judge we're gonna be looking at today. His name is Gideon. I don't know if you know much about Gideon. Maybe you've never heard about him. Don't worry, you're gonna learn everything you need to know. But Gideon is actually one of my favorite judges and one of my favorite, honestly, people in the Old Testament. I think his story is incredibly fascinating, mostly because I feel like I relate a lot to Gideon. And what I hope here today is, not only do we see the incredible character of God, I hope you see that, I hope today you know God loves you and he cares for you. I think you're gonna see that in the scriptures. But also I think it's really important for us, sometimes we can look at these, we can read these stories of these people and we, we look at them as if they're characters in a book and we're just inspired like, oh, okay, cool. But the, the goal here is that we're, we're, we look at their lives and we think, man, that's a lot like me. God, show me where I am in this story because I think that we're probably all a bit more like Gideon than we like to believe. So the context before we jump straight into his story, and I've said this already a little bit, but just to kind of you know, catch you up. So the Israelites in the book of Exodus, they are under Egyptian slavery and they are crying out to God because it's harsh. And so God raises up Moses to go and free his people. Moses goes in, there's a long story there, but the people get to walk on dry land, the sea is parted and um, they go into the promised land. Not quite. In fact, they don't, they don't actually get to go into the land that God promised them right away. They, in fact, we see them, they go into the desert for 40 years because of sin and disobedience, that pattern that keeps coming up. And Moses is their leader. And Moses in Deuteronomy, he gathers everybody together because they're actually about to enter into the promised land. They've been wondering for 40 years and now they're about to go into the land that God's promised them all the way back in Genesis. And Moses calls them together and this is what he says to them. Hey guys, you need to remember what God has done in your life. Remember the ways that he's come through. Remember the ways that he's been faithful because you're about to go into the promised land and your temptation is to forget everything. But here's what you need to do when you go in. You need to obey me. In fact, there are blessings over your life if you obey the words that I say, How, the words that God says. However, if you don't obey, there is cursing. You need, to, you need to understand that. And the people are like, yeah, yeah, you know, they're so excited to go into the promised land because when you're excited and you're full of zeal at the moment, it's like, yeah, I can do that. You know, that sounds great, right? Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land, but Joshua, a leader underneath him is raised up and Joshua is actually going to take the Israelites into the promised land. And God tells Joshua and the Israelites, he says, listen, when you go into the land that I've promised you, you need to make sure that when you go in, you get rid of all the people that are there. All the people that are inhabiting the land, you are to annihilate them, get rid of them. Which seems incredibly harsh if you don't understand really the context of why God is saying that. But God knows his people, right? It's the same reason why he got Moses to get them all together to say, hey, remember what God's done because you're gonna go in there and you're gonna forget. And the reason why God's telling them you need to get rid of the people is because he knows that they're gonna go in and if they don't get rid of these people who are godless, who are serving um, you know, e like 
evil. They're, they're serving gods and goddesses who are, you know, wanting them to do child sacrifice. There's all kinds of things. It's just evil. And they're not worshiping God. And God knows if you don't get rid of it, you're going to be tempted to do it too. So God tells them, listen, when you go in the land, make sure you get rid of everybody. Whenever Joshua takes the people in, at first they do this. They're obedient. But Joshua ends up dying. And when Joshua dies, a lot of the work is still left to be done. And the people kind of get lackadaisical in their faith and they don't, they just, they kind of stop and they're not as passionate anymore about things. And so here they are and um, they're just, you know, going into the land. Now they're living and they didn't do what God said. They were disobedient. And guess what happens? The cycle begins. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, Pastor Reagan last week talked about the judge Deborah and she was the only female judge and how the, the Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but they cried out to God for help. And so God gives a word to Deborah that Israel's going to defeat the Canaanites. So she calls in her um, commander Barak and he, she tells him, listen, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna be successful. We're gonna have victory. And they go in and they do. And at the end of chapter five of Judges, it says that the people lived in peace for 40 years. So after this has happened, the people had peace. The Israelites had peace. Here's this cycle, right? They sinned, they were disobedient, there was oppression, God raised up a judge, they repented, and here they are, they're living in peace. So this is where we meet Gideon. Now we're gonna be going through the book of Judges, chapters six and seven. There's gonna be a lot that we're gonna read, so just hang tight with me. And we're gonna explain it as we go. And here is, here's the goal for us. We are looking at the ways in which fear has come in and has gripped these people, especially Gideon. And we're gonna look at the ways that Gideon is now shrinking back from what God wants to do because he's living in fear. So we're gonna go through the book. We're gonna start in chapter six, verses one through six. It's gonna be on the screen, so let's just get right into it. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So this is where Israel is at now. We saw when we were talking about Deborah and Barak, the enemy was the Canaanites. They were, success, they were successful. They've had 40 years of peace. And now the enemy Israelites, the Israelites are facing are the Midianites, okay? Now, this is what you need to know about the Midianites. These are... Um, nomadic people who live in the desert. In fact, it says that there were so many of them, they were like swarms of locusts. There was a ton of them. And they would live in tents and they would ride camels. They were known for being a camel um, riding army and the Israelites were terrified of them. 
They were pillaging, plundering people. They would wait for Israel to sow and plant. And when it was time to harvest their crops, they would come in and they would steal everything from the Israelites. This is what they did. In fact, it says that they saved them nothing. There was no food that was left unturned. They stole their cattle, everything. This is what the Midianites were doing. And they were evil, godless people. They served the gods of Baal, who were all about child sacrifice. They would um, take their families, kill them, the Israelites. And so the Israelites are terrified and rightfully so. These are evil, godless people. And for seven years, it said, the Midianites would come in and this is what they would do to the Israelites. Now, when we see the Israelites here, we see that they're hiding. They're not living in the land that God had promised them. This was the promised land that God had said that they were gonna inhabit. And here they are, and they're not even living in the land, they're hiding. And we know they're hiding because it says that they're living in the mountain clefts, the caves. They're, they're hiding from the Midianites because they're so scared and they've given up. They're just surviving. That, that's what they're doing. They're just surviving. And they, it says that they cried out to the Lord for help. So here we are in this cycle, right? There's been sin and disobedience. They were supposed to get rid of the Midianites. They did not do it. And now here they are and they're crying out to the Lord for help. And in verses seven through 10, it says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So here are God's people, they're crying out to God for help. God sends them an unnamed prophet and he says to them, you need to understand the reason why this is happening is because of your disobedience. I told you that this is what was gonna happen and now you are reaping the consequences of it. So here they are. And in verses 11 through 12, it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, we finally meet Gideon. This is gonna be the main character of our, of our time today. And it's very interesting because at the beginning, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. Now, a lot of scholars, a lot of people who study the Bible believe that this is a theophany. Now, a theophany is where God appears to people in what feels like a manifestation of human form, as in humans could sense like a being being there. And a lot of people believe that Jesus would appear before he actually was born all the way in the New Testament, that he actually would appear to people. There are many cases of this in the Old Testament. This is not the only case of it. In fact, Hagar in Genesis, like God appears to her and there's a lots of, of different people. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this is indeed God appearing to Gideon. So here we see God, either way, he's trying to get a hold of, of Gideon. And here Gideon is, and Gideon is in 
uh, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, this is why the Bible is so good and why we miss so much of the good stuff if we don't really understand the context. Because for those of us who don't understand this, we would just pass this by, but it actually is incredibly important. Because Gideon is threshing wheat, but he's doing it in a wine press. Well, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. And what threshing wheat would be, would basically be to get the edible parts of the grain. So what, what you would do normally is that you would thresh wheat on a threshing floor. A threshing floor would be outside, typically on a hill, and it would be a hard surface. And what they would do is they would take stalks of wheat and they would beat the wheat against the hard surfaces and then they would throw it in the air and the wind that would come by would take away the, the non-edible, like the casing of the grain away where all that would be left would be the grain to eat. So it's really, the threshing floor is actually really important. It's, it's an important part of getting the wheat here. But Gideon is not at the threshing floor. He's in a wine press. Now, a wine press is completely different than a threshing floor because a wine press would be part of the, lower, the lowest part of the city because they would build it down so that when they would step on the grapes and crush them, the, the juice would drain down into a pool. And so we find Gideon and he is threshing wheat in the lowest part of the city. He's hiding, he's inside. He's trying to get some food and he's hiding because he doesn't want the Midianites to get it first. So here's where we see Gideon. He's, he's hiding away, he has fear, and to be quite honest, this is where I think the Bible is actually quite humorous. Because I don't know about you, but this picture is really funny to me. Because here we see, I mean, if, when I picture Gideon, I see this little guy, you know, like indoors, like beating the weed on something. He's not even supposed to be doing it because he's so scared. And God appears before him and he goes, God is with you, mighty man, like mighty warrior of God. God is with you. And I don't know about you, maybe I've seen too many superhero movies, but this is not exactly the hero that I would picture, right? Because in my head, I'm like picturing like Captain America with like a shield and like muscles and like ready to go and brave and standing outside in the city, like come and attack us, you know? I'm not really seeing a guy who's like kind of hiding and he's afraid and he's just trying to get a little bit of wheat because he's really hungry. But God appears to Gideon and he calls him a mighty warrior. Now in some translations, this is translated as the brave one. In some it is mighty hero, in others a mighty man of valor, of great courage. So God's like saying to him, look at you, you hero, you warrior, God is with you. And immediately I think Gideon is like, what? Like, do you not see what I am doing here? Because in verse 13, Gideon's response is, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and he's given us into the hand of Midian. So here God is appearing to Gideon and he's calling him something that he doesn't even see for himself. And immediately Gideon's heart is revealed. 
Because here God is and he's in his presence and his first response is, if God is real and he's with us, why is this happening? Like, why are, why, why are we being ravaged by these people? Like, if God's so good and he's with us, why or is this happening? Why am I hiding in a wine press to get food? Why are my people living this way? Why are we hiding from these people? They've been torturing us for seven years. If God is with us, why is he allowing this to happen? What about the God that we've heard about from our ancestors? They told us stories about how he delivered them from Egypt, how he performed miracles. Where is that God? How can he be with me? This doesn't seem like that's the same God. This is how Gideon's response is, and it reveals his heart. Because what's happened is, the first thing we learn is that Gideon has a shrinking view of God. Because of the fear in his life, the view of God that Gideon has, has begun to shrink. And what's happened is, is that it is shrinking based on his experience about external factors that are happening. Because the circumstances that Gideon is in are horrible, he begins to shrink his view of God. What he's thinking is, is instead of, because ideally Gideon, Gideon is a Jewish man. He would have been born and raised understanding the Jewish law. He would have heard these stories. And ideally what would happen here is that Gideon could see what was going on, but be able to speak truth to it based on what he has learned God is like. Our God is faithful. He's a deliverer. He's right on time. He performs miracles. So surely if we're going through this, there is a question of what is he doing here? But instead of this position, Gideon is allowing his circumstances to define God. What he's saying is, is if, if God is real and he's with us, then why is this happening? Maybe he's not real. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he, he didn't do what, he, what we thought he did for our ancestors. Maybe he has left us. Maybe he has abandoned us. This is what's happening. And his heart is revealed. But the, the interesting thing is, the, the humorous kind of thing here, is the reason why they're in the predicament they're in is not because God has abandoned them. The reason why they're in the predicament they're in is because of their own disobedience in which God warned them before they even went there, this will happen. No, if you disobey me, there will be curses. If you obey me, there is blessing. They knew it going in and yet here they are and they're questioning God. And this is what Gideon is doing. He's allowing the fear of what he sees to shrink his view of God. And in verse 14, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, here's the deal. I've, I've been in ministry for a little bit, long enough to know at this point, there are a lot of us sitting in this room and a lot of people who are not in this room because of this very question right here. There are a lot of people who at this point walk away from faith. If God is so good, then why? If he's so good and he cares about me, then why is he allowing this to happen? We've all seen it. We probably have all talked to somebody that's like that. Maybe we've all gone through this ourselves. 
If God is so good, why is he allowing me to go through this? And you know, what's interesting is that the Lord, his response to Gideon is not to answer all of his questions. The Lord doesn't say to him, you know what, you're right. I'm gonna give you a map of every place that I've been. And every time you thought I didn't show up, I'm gonna tell you exactly what I was doing so that you know. God doesn't do that. What God says to Gideon is go. In fact, God doesn't even speak to those questions. And I think it's interesting because when I read the Bible and even in the, the life that I'm living, I have found that very rarely does God give specific answers to the questions we sometimes have, right? I was, when I was doing some research on this topic, I was listening to a, a well-seasoned pastor who was talking about this and he was saying, the reason why that God doesn't give us all the answers is because even if he did, number one, they wouldn't make sense. And number two, they wouldn't even satisfy us. Because the reality is, is for all of us, we want justice and we want God to move in the lens of our own life. We want God to make us comfortable and change our circumstances for us. We want him to make us comfortable and for him to make us feel good and for things to be able to make sense in our lives and for us to be like, oh, okay, this, this, and this. That's what we want. But here's the deal. The God that we serve says that he knows the plans that he has for you and that he's working all things together for good for all of those who are called according to his purposes, which means that simultaneously God is working the good for you and for me. And I don't know about you, but I don't know how that works. Because sometimes it could feel like the good for you and the good for me are at tension with each other. But this is also why God will say, your ways are not my ways. The way you think is not the way that I think. I am God. I'm above this. My ways are higher. My ways are higher. Trust me. Trust me. That's what God wants. Because at the end of the day, God's desire is that we would know that even when we go through hard things, that we are not alone. And that is what God is saying to Gideon right here. He doesn't answer all of his questions, but he says, I am going with you. What you need to know is you might not understand why you're in the circumstances that you're in, but what you need to know is you're not alone. When you go through them, I am here. And I am working all things together for good because I have promises over your people. And this is what God would say to us today. Now, Gideon will go on and he responds back to the Lord. And this is what he says in verses 15 and 16. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, not only does Gideon have a shrinking view of God, but now we see that Gideon also has a shrinking identity because God says to him, listen, you're gonna save Israel. I'm gonna give them to your hands and I'm gonna go with you. And Gideon's next response is, why would you use me? I, I come from like the least like likely people. My, my tribe is the least and I'm the least in that tribe. 
I'm the smallest, I'm the youngest, you, you can't use me, I'm the most insignificant, unqualified person. And if you're gonna save Israel, you need to find somebody else to do that with, because it, it, it's not me. And Gideon begins to make excuses. Because what's happening is his insecurity, because of the fear of what's happening, insecurities start to arise in his life, right? And self-doubt begins to arise. And what happens is this fear causes this insecurity to eat at and destroy the call of God on his life. Because God has showed up to him and says, I am going to use you to deliver Israel. And his response is, it can't be me. It's not me. I'm pretty insignificant. I I don't really have anything going on. I feel like if you're gonna save Israel, you, you you need to find somebody else to do. And here's the thing, insecurities actually feel a little like safety sometimes. Because what it does is it gets us out of what we're trying to convince God not to use us for, and it can feel safe. And we do this even in our own lives, right? It looks a little different for us because what this looks like in our life, when we have that shrinking identity, when we've allowed insecurity to come in, it looks a lot like, well, I'm not good enough for God to use me. Like, I'm, I'm not spiritual enough. I don't read my Bible every day and I don't know that I pray right. I definitely don't pray like her and I can't talk to people like him. And I just don't know that God can use me. I, I'm not talented enough. Like I, I watch them do that and I can't do that. I, I don't, I'm, I'm just not talented or um, I'm too old to do that. I'm too old to work with kids, for sure too old to work with middle schoolers. I'm too old or I'm too young. I'm too young to do that. I'm gonna wait until I'm older and more mature and like I'm, I'm good and then, and then like I'll be ready for God to use me. Or maybe it looks like I'm not extroverted enough. I'm awkward when I talk to people. I could never do that. I, I get so awkward with people, right? Or I'm too dumb. I don't have what it takes to do that. I'm not smart enough to do it. And what happens is we do the same thing that Gideon did and we just make excuses and excuses for why God can't use us. And what happens is, is that God has a call on our life and instead of walking into it, we shrink back because of fear and we allow insecurity to define us for it to have say. The reality is, is that God's desire is that our identity would be firm in him. That is what he wants for us. That's what he wants here for Gideon. Because when God shows up to Gideon and he calls him a mighty warrior, you mighty man of courage, I'm gonna hand over the Israelites to you. The goal here for God is not to pump Gideon up like a little encouraging locker room speech so that he goes out and does it. That's not what God is doing here. God is actually saying, listen, I know you're unqualified. I know who you are. I know, I know everything about you and it actually has nothing to do with you. It's actually me in you working through you. If you would just be a willing vessel, I will do it. That's actually what he's trying to speak to Gideon here. He's not saying, hey, you can do it, rah, rah, let's go. You know, that's not what this is. This is God saying, I'm saying I will be with you. It's actually me inside of you. All I need you to do is say yes. All I need you to do is be a willing vessel. And I wonder how many of us that are sitting in the room and God has a call on your life. There are people you should be ministering to at your workplace, here at the church maybe. Maybe there's a volunteer place that you need to get into. Maybe there's a family member you need to talk to. And all you're doing is making every excuse of why it couldn't be you. 
And God is saying to you today, it has nothing to do with you actually. It's me in you. All I'm asking you to do is be willing. All I'm asking you to do is say yes. And Gideon, he begins to have this conversation again because he replies to, to, to the Lord, to this angel of the Lord. In verses 17, he says, Gideon replied, if now, so now Gideon's kind of listening to him like, oh, okay, like I hear what you're saying. He says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from and an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it's, and to this day, it stands in Ophrah in the Abysserites. Now, I think it's really interesting because Gideon now, so at first he was like, well, if, if God is with me, then why is all this happening, right? He has a shrinking view of God. And after he gets past that, then he lists all the ways that he's unqualified to do it, that he's insignificant, and he has this shrinking identity. And now, because he's already kind of doing this with the Lord, he's like, okay, listen, if it is you, let's just say that, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. I need a sign. You're going to have to show me that this is you, God, and that you're going to be with me. And so God does it, right? Gideon goes and prepares an offering. It says that the, the Lord consumed the offering. And right there, Gideon says, okay, I've seen God. This, this, is, this is it. And you'd like to think that this is the end of Gideon needing signs and confirmation from God, but it isn't. Because if you go all the way down to verse 36, Gideon says to the Lord again, he goes, no, listen, listen, God. So I, I just need to confirm again that it's you. So if it is indeed you and, and you are gonna deliver us and we're gonna be successful, here, here's what I'd like for you to do. I, I'd like to put out my fleece on the threshing floor. And what I'd like for you to do is, is I'd like for you in the night to make the dew come up on the fleece, but have the dry, the ground be dry on the threshing floor. If, if you can do that, then, then I'll believe and it'll, it'll be good. And so God does it. Gideon wakes up the next day, the, the fleece has dew on it. In fact, it says he wrings out the dew into a bowl and the threshing floor is dry. And you would think, okay, well, that's enough now. Gideon's like, good. He's like, okay, th you know, this is it. But it says right after, Gideon comes right back to the Lord and is like, Here's the deal, God, don't get angry with me. Oh, but I'd like, could you show me again? Cause I, I still, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe could we do the same thing, but like the opposite. And like this time, if I put out my fleece, the fleece would be dry, but you can make the threshing floor wet. Could like, could we figure that out? And it says that God did it. He woke up the next day and the threshing floor was wet, but the fleece was dry. 
And I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I think, man, you know what's revealed here? Gideon's faith, it is so weak and immature because all, he, he just, he, he needs all these signs and he's all these confirmations. He really needs to know, God, are you gonna come through? Like, I don't know if this is what you're calling me to do. Like, I need you to like really make it plain. And it's so easy to judge this, right? To think, man, Gideon, get it together. How many of us do this though in our, in our life, right? Like how many of us will be in line at Panera waiting for, to buy our lunch and we see someone in front of us and we, we hear God say, or we just, we have a thought that says like, oh, you should buy their lunch. And you sit there and go, well, if I'm gonna do it, God, I want you to have somebody that looks like, um, you know, Santa walk in and tell me, girl, buy that girl's lunch and then I will do it, God, I'll do it, you know? And God is like, what? <laughs> um, I've called you to be generous and love people. <laughs> what? Um, I gave you the job that you have to make the money. Um, how, many, how many of us do that? We do it all the time. God, I know that I need to be connected at church and like, I get it. They say community is the best thing ever. And I know they have city groups, but God, if you, if you want me to be in a city group, you're gonna have to have someone come up to me who doesn't know my name, say my full name and my social security number and invite me to their city group. And when they do, God, I'm gonna be there, you know? It's like, this is what we do. And I know this is what we do because I have done this in my life. Literally, it's not, my, it's not my most favorite story, but this is, this is very true. I started college, halfway through college. I had no idea what I was doing. I was flailing in life. What I thought I was gonna major in, I didn't end up majoring in. And so halfway through, it was like right after my sophomore year, I was serving as a youth leader and our youth went to a um, youth conference in Alabama in Birmingham. And so I went as a youth leader and I was sitting there and I decided to, we had some free time. So I was walking around in the, in the atrium of this church and there was an organization that was there doing this internship and they had a booth there. And I, as soon, I mean, as sure as enough as I'm standing in front of you, I, I felt like a thought come in that was like, you need to go talk to them. So I went up to this organization, I got the information, they were doing an internship, it was you know, a way for you to get away with the Lord, really pursue him, and I knew when I was talking to them, I, I need to do this. I feel like God's calling me to do it, and then they said it was located in Colorado Springs, Colorado, I was like, no thank you, I'm done, I ain't moving, we're good. And I walked away, no big deal. I went back into the sanctuary, I kid you not this happened, I sat on a seat, and a woman, two rows behind me, who was not with us, came up to me and said, hey, this is really weird, but I was sitting there and I felt like God wanted me to tell you that you actually wouldn't talk to a, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't talk to somebody about something and God's saying, you need to do that thing. And I'm just looking at her and she's looking at me and I just made her feel so weird because I didn't even say anything or even ad admit that I did anything. I was like, okay. And she was like, okay. And I was like, God, if you want me to go, you're gonna have to make it clearer than this. You know, like, come on. I'm sure she saw me out in the hallway talking and is like, look at her, you know? So the service went on and the, the guy who was teaching that session, I kid you not, at the end of the session, same night, he, we were, he was doing the altar call and he was kind of at the end doing some prophetic, you know, like there's a student in here and you, you know, you're gonna be healed, you know, whatever and whatever it was. And um, at the very end, he goes, and before we leave, there's someone in the room and God is saying, just fill out the application and he's gonna take care of the rest. That's all you gotta do, just fill it out. And I remember being like, Surely that's not God, <laughs> you know, like there's no way. 
And sure enough, it was, and I ended up moving, changed my life. But I'm just saying, this is how we approach God. We like to judge Gideon and say, man, couldn't he get it together? And what we see here is that he has a shrinking belief. His belief that God is who he says he is and that he's moving and that he's actually gonna deliver them begins to shrink. And because of that, he's like, I need confirmation. I need you to prove it, God, prove everything. I have doubt and because I have doubt, then I need you to come in and prove it. But here's the deal, today we have something that Gideon doesn't have, which is the word of God and the Holy Spirit in us. And God tells us how we're to live. We don't have to wait on God to call us and send fire from heaven to buy someone's coffee. If you have it, we should do it. You, you don't have to wait sometimes for, to sit around and ask God, should I be a greeter? Do you have a Sunday morning free? You should do it. Cause you're just gonna love on people and God says that we're called to build his kingdom. So I don't think you can go wrong with doing that because what God wants is he wants us to fully trust him that he is faithful for us to really know that deep down inside. And as, and as you know, Gideon is, is becoming more and more kind of you know, enraptured in what the, the God is saying to him, and he's kind of making these moves like, okay, God, you're proving that it's you. Like, I, I feel like maybe I can do this. God says to him, he's like, listen, I need you to go home. And the first thing I need you to do is I need you to get your house together because your dad, Joash, he's got an altar erected for Baal. You, you guys, you, have, you, you didn't do what I said in the sense you didn't get rid of the people and now you have, you have been acquiring other gods along with your worship of me. And I want you to go home and I want you to destroy the altar of Baal and the other goddesses that you're serving. And so Gideon will go and do that. He actually takes it apart and he actually offers a sacrifice on the wood that was used for these altars for God. God wants him to clean house. The crazy thing is these were Jewish people worshiping Yahweh. They knew what God asked of them. And here they were, they were allowing the culture around them to start changing them. They weren't changing and affecting the culture. The culture was affecting them. And what we see here is that there is a shrinking influence. Gideon was called, the Israelites were called to go in and influence, to be a picture of God for the nations to look at. And instead of doing what God asked them to do, and they, they disobeyed and they just started putting other idols onto their worship of God. And how many of us were doing this too? We wouldn't say this out loud, right? We don't have any altars of Baal erected in our homes, but what we do is, is we have a love of money we allow money to dictate most of what we do. We don't open up our Bibles or memorize scriptures, but we know every stat statistic in our fantasy football leagues, right? Like we don't open up our Bibles and we don't pray, but we know every song to Beyonce. I mean, the reality is, is what we give our energy to, what we give our time to, what we give our resources to, where the bulk of our stuff is going to, that is what we're serving. And, and God here, he's, he's telling, he's, he's showing, you know, Gideon and, and us too, he, he desires for us to be obedient influencers. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount will say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I'm in you. You don't cover a light. You put it on a stand and you let it get light to the whole city. 
Like you need to, as you, as you do good works, it actually glorifies me. People see me through the life you're living. This is the life that these, the Israelites were called to live and they're not doing it because of disobedience. And now they've let this culture affect them. This culture has come in and, and it's starting to do that. And, and so Gideon, at the very end, we'll see in chapter seven, and as it kind of moves along, Gideon is, he's, he kind of, he went home and he, he did what he needed to do with the, 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 the altar of Baal and he's getting things in order in his house. And so God tells him, listen, I want you to get an army together. And so Gideon does that and he gets about 32,000 men in Israel who are saying, yeah, we'll fight, you know. Now, granted, a lot of theologians believe that on the Midianite side, there's probably 130 to 140,000 of them. But you know, Gideon, I'm sure it's like 30,000. That's good. I feel like we could do something there, you know? Like he's got 32,000 men. And God, when he sees this, God says to Gideon, actually, we need to whittle this down a little bit. That's too much. Um, because I know what's going to happen is that if you go in with 32,000 people, you're going to, when I give you the victory, because I've already said you're going to have it, you're going to be tempted to take the, the glory for yourself. You're going to be tempted to say, oh, it was the 30,000 men, you know? So he said, this is what I want you to do. First of all, I want you to talk to the army and tell them, hey, if you're scared, you can go home. He did that and 22,000 people left. I probably would have been one of those people, right? So now he's got, you know, he's whittled that way down to about 10,000. And then God says, now here's the other thing that we're gonna do. I'm gonna, we're gonna test these people. I want you to go down for a drink of water. And as you do that, those who bend down to drink their water and put their heads in the water, you send them home. But the ones who get the water with their hands and they cup it and they lick it up, those are the ones I want you to keep. Now, a lot of theologians believe there that it's because the ones who would get the water and lick it are the ones aware. They're watching everything, making sure they're not being attacked. So God says, I want you to use them. Guess how many of them there were? Only 300. So here, Gideon has an army of 300 going and fighting 140,000. That's like the odds are crazy, not in his favor, right? Because, and the reason why God is doing this is because he knows that Gideon has a shrinking dependence on him. His dependence isn't where it should be. The reality is, is that even with 32,000 people, that's resources. And Gideon would be tempted to believe and he would be comfortable and feel like it's cushioned that like, you know, it's hard to rely on God when you have a little bit of a cushion that's helping you, right? But what God wants is he wants total dependence. That's even what he wants for you. The goal is total dependence. And that's what he does. Now we will see at the end of chapter seven, as we are closing, God actually does exactly what he said he was gonna do. God gives the Israelites the victory over the Midianites. In fact, God will say to Gideon before they even fought, he said, now listen, if you're still scared, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your servant and I want you to go down and I want you to go to the Midianite camp and I want you to listen. And so Gideon goes and he does that. And as he does, he overhears two of the Midianite soldiers talking to each other. One of them tells him, hey, listen, I had this crazy dream last night. This is what this dream was. And the other guy says, well, I know what the interpretation of that is. We are going to be handed over to the Israelites. And it says right there that Gideon for the first time was like, we are going to win. 
God's gonna give us this battle. He began to worship and he goes back and he tells his troops, hey, now is the time, we're gonna go. And they go and they defeat the Midianites and there's victory. And you know what's so crazy about all of this? That in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great hall of faith chapter, if you know what I'm talking about, the writer of Hebrews begins to list all these great people in the Bible in the Old Testament who had great faith. Gideon is listed amongst those who had great faith. That is wild to me. Because when I read this story, I see a guy who is shrinking in fear, who's letting insecurity ravage, who needs all kinds of, you know, signs and wonders for him to move. And he's, he, his dependence on God isn't where it needs to be. And yet God, who is the actual hero of the whole story, was so loving and patient with him. And that is exactly how God is with us today. Because I don't know about you, but I find myself in this story. Maybe you're sitting in here and maybe for you, it is that shrinking view of God. Maybe that's what you're struggling with today. Maybe because of the circumstances and the situations that you're going through, what's happened in your life is you have begun to shrink God down and say, is he even good? Does he care about me? Does, is he concerned of what I'm going through? Was, is he faithful? Is he gonna come through? Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you're that shrinking identity. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm not worth anything. I feel so insignificant, so unqualified. I feel like I can't do anything. I, I, I have horrible thoughts about myself. And what's happened is you have let a feeling dictate whether or not you're gonna walk in the call of God on your life. Or maybe you're sitting here and maybe for you, it's a shrinking belief. Maybe you are saying like, God, I, you know, like if you, if you are calling me to do this, I need you to, I need you to really make it clear. I need like a ton of signs. You need to make it as clear as possible because my belief is very little. God wants you to trust in him and know that he's faithful. Maybe you're sitting in here and it's the shrinking influence. Maybe you have allowed culture to come in. And it's not that you're not worshiping God, but you've allowed other things to come in and take, your pri and take priority. And you've let idols come in your life and that's actually what you're giving your time and energy to, it's not God. And now a culture that you're supposed to be changing, being the salt and light is actually changing you. Maybe that's it. Or maybe today it is this shrinking dependence. Maybe you, you wanna do, the things that God's called you to do and, and you wanna serve him with your whole heart, but you're thinking, well, you know, like maybe if I just, if I have this other option, then if God doesn't come through, then I have that. And it's like, you're only willing to go there just a little, but you, you have that plan B, you know, in, in the back of your head because you're just worried that God's not gonna come through. I can tell you today, join the club. If you find yourself in here, join the club. I feel like we've all been here, probably some of us are maybe all of the things, or maybe some of us were really struggling in one part today. This is what I wanna tell you, that God has a plan and a purpose on your life. Do not let the fear in your life cause you to shrink back from what God has for you. God has put you in a workplace. He's put you in a school. He's put you in a family. He's put you in a church community. He's put you in this city. And what he wants for your life is to bring him glory. He wants you to go out there and he wants you to be the salt and the light. Do not let fear shrink you back from doing what God has for you. 
don't do it. Don't let fear shrink you back and walk away from faith because you have so many questions and you're so stuck under why, why is God letting this happen? The question you need to ask is what does God want to show me? He is so good. His plans for you are good. And if you are going through something that is really difficult today, I can tell you that he wants to show you what he wants to do in your life. You are not alone. That is the word of God for Gideon. It's the word of God for us today. Whatever it is that God's called you to, you don't go at it alone. That's the great thing about serving him. It's the God in us. It's not even anything good that we even have to offer. It's him in us. And everywhere he goes, we go. He promises to be with us. We can't lose. So I want you to stand, I'm gonna pray for you. And if that is you today, maybe you're sitting in the room, you're like, I am, I am one of those people. I'm, I'm on one of those, those spectrums, that's okay. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna repent. That is the cycle, right? Is that we repent. And I believe today as you repent, I believe God's gonna release you. I believe you're gonna step into things, maybe things that God's been calling you to that you've been avoiding because you have felt like you're so unqualified. I believe God's gonna do it today. So let's pray together. Lord, we love you. You're a good father. God, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and it's active, God, and it does not return void. And so today, Lord, I pray for everyone who is in this room. Lord, you know everything about them. God, you know what they came in with. You know every thought that they have, every fear that they have. Lord, you see every circumstance. You see every place that it feels impossible. God, you see every place, Lord, where they have shrunk back from what you called them to be. And Lord, I pray today, God, that we would repent of every place, God, where we have not trusted you fully. God, every place where we have gone at it on our own. Lord, every place, Lord, where we have allowed insecurity and the lies of the enemy to be greater than what you say about us, God. Lord, we repent. And God, we ask that you would come in, Lord, and that your truth would be spoken. Every place, God, where we have allowed our view of you to be lowered, God, because of our, our lack of understanding, God, would we trust in you fully that even if we don't understand and we don't know what's going on, we know that you're not done and you're working and you're not finished, that you have good plans for us and that you're working all things together for our good, Lord. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room, God, who's struggling with doubt, doubting whether or not you're good, that you see them, that you care, Lord, today I pray that they would encounter you. That today on July 2nd, 2023, that they would be in a room where you would say, I see you. I haven't left you, I have not forsaken you. Lord, would you move in our lives? And God, what I pray today is that we would be moved to action. Lord, that this message, this word implanted in our hearts would not just be so that we could be inspired in a moment, but God, that we would be transformed, that we would go out. God, that we would be the salt and the light. God, that we would be servants, that we would be generous, God, with the things that you've given us, Lord. We just pray for it in Jesus' name, amen.